Welcome to the latest episode of Schneps Connects. I'm your host, Josh Schneps. We have a great episode for you today with Richard Wissack, the vice president of 55 Stan, which is a company that owns and operates a large fleet of New York City taxi cabs. The company dates back to 1960 and is based out of Long Island City, Queens. We all certainly know how much yellow cabs are part of the city's DNA, but technology has changed the landscape of that industry and along with it, the streets of the city. So with that, I want to say, Richard, thank you for being here with us today. Hi, Josh. Good to be here. And Richard, if I'm not mistaken, your company currently owns 140 New York City taxi medallions. Is that correct? Yeah, we operate 140 taxi medallions. That's correct. So for those that don't know what a medallion is, it's basically the metal shield that you see affixed to uh, the yellow cab's front hood that licenses drivers to pick up street hails across the five boroughs of New York City. They're auctioned off by the city of New York in limited quantities, and there are approximately 13,500 medallions in New York. So with that, Richard, um, I'd love for you to share with us your family's uh, business story, which is really great, on how the business grew, and then leading up to how you got involved in the business. Well, it all started like relatively common story in that my grandfather was a taxi driver in the late 50s, early 60s in uh, New York City. And that was a good way to make a living and to provide for his family. And uh, after a while, he started, you know, he liked the business so much that he started to accumulate medallions and ultimately formed a company. So uh, it started with that. And uh, back then, uh, he had a garage in Manhattan on the uh, all the way on the west side, which was the industrial side uh, back in the 60s and uh, a garage there. And then my dad came, my, my grandfather passed away and my dad took it over. And, you know, he, he took it through the 70s and the you know more turbulent 80s. And uh, we ultimately landed in uh, Long Island City, Queens with the garage as um, because uh, Manhattan mostly priced out for taxi garages. A lot of the taxi companies started in Manhattan and then branched out into the outer boroughs as real estate became uh, more expensive. And uh, slowly the, the company grew and uh, you know, until I came in and I came in uh, about 30 some odd years ago, I, I'm actually a, uh, an attorney by trade. So I was working in the district attorney's office when I got the call to come into the business in the most difficult way possible, which is uh, through the family. So they, uh, I was recruited and I had always been around the, the garage for years as a kid, gassing up the cars and being a cashier. So it was not unfamiliar to me. And here I've stayed for the last 30 plus years. And I know your father's been featured multiple times uh, in the media and seemed to have grown the company organically, but very hands-on. Yeah, that's how I was taught. My father was, uh, he really loved the business. He loved the interaction with all the drivers and helping them out and really teaching them about the rhythms and the beats of the city. And that he would always say things like, you know, you just don't cross the bridge from Queens and go into the city and expect everybody's hand to be up on many corners. You have to be at certain places at certain times of the day or night. So where you're maximizing where people are looking for cabs and uh, where the other cabs are not. So not only would he, you know, he would teach the guy, he would teach the drivers how to make money. And if they followed his, you know, his experience 
most of them were able to make a good living. And back in the 60s and 70s, it was a, a job that people did part time to work them as they were going through law school or dental school or, you know, account, you know, they were getting their advanced degrees and hustling on the yellow cab, you know, as a sideline to, you know, pay rent and, you know, groceries and things like that. He was a very hands-on guy and uh, he would get in early in the morning and dispatch the taxis and he really loved the business and he loved the camaraderie and the way the city worked. You know, I'm in a family business as well. What would you say is the the biggest takeaway that you learned from your dad as far as running the business? Well, you know, you know, hard work and honesty, you know, you have to treat everybody, you know, with respect and to learn everybody's got their own issues at home or, you know, you don't know what's going on in their lives. So it's a tough job driving a yellow cab. You're dealing with the passengers, you're dealing with the police, civilians, bicyclists, you know, all caught, all kinds of things. And to uh, be very mindful of that when dealing with everybody. Good advice. So taxi medallions um, were at one time a great long-term investment that was really protected by supply and demand. You could only pick people up off the streets of New York City with a medallion. And those medallions were auctioned in small amounts by the city of New York. In 2014, medallion values peaked at about $1.3 million each. However, the industry was massively disrupted, as we all know, by mobile apps that offered not just ride hailing, but also ride sharing. And then on top of that, I think the industry was really shaken up by risky lending practices to those who borrowed to buy medallions that are now significantly underwater, the impact of which drove the values down almost 90% to about 140,000 in the most recent auctions. So my big question for you is, did you foresee the disruption and how fast its impact would be felt? Well, I didn't really foresee the disruption or else I wouldn't have <laughs> I wouldn't have stuck around as long as I did. You know, I always thought we were the yellow taxi medallion taxi cab industry, in my opinion, was a real cash cow for the city of New York mm -hmm. in that, you know, not only did they auction off medallions and, you know, get more than a billion dollars when they decided to do so. All the fees and taxes that we've paid and most recently the surcharges that were put on the meter, you know, really produced hundreds of millions of dollars for the city. And I thought that the city would be more mindful of that and uh, take that into consideration before they open the floodgates to basically, certainly initially, an unlimited supply of the ride hailing cars. Uh, I'm sorry, the ride sharing cars, mm -hmm. you know, the app based companies, because that was really a major turning point in my view of uh, how it all shifted. Do you think that medallion owners could have been or should be protected against these mobile apps in New York City? The medallions gave us the exclusive right to street hails. And that over time, everything changes. And that over time has changed in that the way people like to be transported, it's almost, Josh, it's almost as if you go to a restaurant. Do you like to, when you arrive at the restaurant, do you like to wait for your table? Or do you like to get seated when you get into a restaurant? That's almost like that. That's what's happened with the ride hail versus the uh, app-based companies. Most people want to have their car waiting for them downstairs 
instead of stepping out onto the street, raising their hand and waiting for one. So I do think the city should have protected us more in that certainly limited the amount of cars that are allowed to uh, respond on the app, because now it's 100,000 plus that flooded the market that flooded the city, you know, and of course caused, you know, an enormous amount of congestion. And also, I think the city should have done more for us to advance our app, the Yellow Cab app, so that we would be able to uh, be, you know, ha have more of a presence on the app-based uh, business. You know, you make that um, comparison to restaurants, and, and obviously I'm someone that's in media, but still on the sidelines as someone that doesn't have great knowledge of the industry and practices and and everything that comes along with city government. But, you know, if I paid the restaurant for a seat, I feel like I would should have that seat available to me. Do you think that the city could have worked out a way with the Ubers of the world to say you can operate, but you have to have the person driving have a medallion and issue more medallions? What, what held that back from happening? I think you, you make a really strong point in that the financial level of uh, entry to buy a medallion and to have the legal presence to accept street hails and, and some apps was more than, as you referenced her at, at your introduction, was more than a million bucks in, I think, 2014. Mm -hmm. Yet uh, the current administration allowed 100,000 cars to come into the market and the city did not receive any money for that. I think it'll go down historically as a huge missed opportunity. It's even magnified now in that the city's financial position is so tenuous. You know, I look at our industry, the media industry, you know, sometimes technology just moves too fast for politicians. In the case of news organizations where a lot of media outlets can aggregate our content, you know, at the end of the day, it takes time, I think, for legislation to catch up to technology. If we look back, Mayor de Blasio initially did not want the Ubers and the Lyfts of the world to come in without a cap on them. And if you, you know, go back into perhaps it was 2014 or so, 15 maybe, they put tremendous pressure on him. And on their app, they would even say, your ride will be here in three minutes. But if the mayor has his way, your ride will be here in nine minutes. And they actually put, you know, a timer on their app. Yeah, I remember seeing it. I remember seeing it. Yeah. So, I mean, he, you know, I think he caved to the enormous pressure of, of these billion-dollar companies. Well, I guess Plus, the other point is, though, technology really damages anything that is inefficient, right? It, it, it rips out any inefficiencies. And, you know, I think any New Yorker, over the age of 35, who's lived on the streets of New York City saw inefficiency of trying to hail a cab. I mean, fight, I remember fights used to break out on rainy Saturday nights for a cab, or you'd be caught between a shift where you had your hand up in the air for an hour waiting for a cab. So, you know, looking back over that time, what could taxi owners have done better? And what do you think you've learned most? Well, as I said, every, everything changes. And uh, we, as an industry, perhaps didn't pivot as quickly as we should have to get more of a, a presence with regards to app-based rides, you know, and, and to get our name, you know, to have one single app to hire a yellow cab to be waiting for you wherever you are, 
You know, I think we were a little uh, late to the game on that. You have to remember something, Josh. Uber and Lyft, if you look at those two big companies, they have yet to show a profit. Right. We're up against these giants that without any um, exaggeration show billion dollar plus losses each quarter. As an independent uh, taxi operator, I, I can't afford to operate at a loss like yeah, that or anything, you know, even close to that. As a business owner, you never want to be in competition with someone that doesn't care about making money for a very long time. That's one of the struggles that our industry is uh, is in the midst of. So what innovation has taken place within the taxi industry? Well, we do have two separate apps where you can summon a yellow cab to be waiting for you. And our prices are certainly competitive, if not less, than the Uber and Lyft's their, their rides. So we have that. You what know, um, we have been mandated by the city of New York to have 50% wheelchair accessible vehicles, which it comes at a you know, much higher cost, both initially and to maintain, whereas the, our competitors don't have that uh, same requirement. You know, so, I mean, we have bigger cars. They're not as fuel efficient as, as we were in the past, but, you know, we, we have bigger cars like that. That's where we're at right now. What are the two apps? Are they partnerships or are they owned by the medallion owners? No, they're not owned by the medallion owners. They're owned by two, two independent, you know, separate organizations. One is called Curb, C-U-R-B, and the other is called Arrow, A-R-R-O. And again, the whole I, the whole fact that you don't, you're not familiar with them, Josh, is one of our problems is that, you know, we don't have a strong enough presence, perhaps, you know, you're a New Yorker and, and aren't familiar with that. We're up against that, the publicity, you know, the billboards that Uber used to have and Lyft used to have. We don't have that for ours, you know, because we don't have the luxury of being able to lose a billion dollars each quarter as an industry. Yep. And um, we're up against that. So on top of that, you know, COVID has certainly had a big impact on the industry. Even these ride hailing apps, as you could see by their, you know, financial disclosures, according to a recent report from the Taxi and Limousine Commission, known as the TLC, yellow cabs uh, in New York City went from 11,400 in uh, January to a low point of about 2,200 at the height of the pandemic. And then in June, it increased slightly to about close to 3,000. So what's being done and what can be done? We've always followed industries like the hotel industry and to a certain extent, the restaurant industry and the airports and that our business not only depends on New Yorkers, but certainly tourists. And with the airports being as quiet as they've been for the last eight plus months, and hotel occupancy rates, at, the last I read, were in the 30% range. And offices, not, again, the percentage of office workers is, is I think, down 75% as we speak. You know, we're, we're having a most difficult time with enough rides for both the driver and the owner to make money. So a lot of these cabs, they're simply sitting idle. That's correct. I would say more than 50% of the city's fleet of yellows is sitting idle because there's just, there's not enough uh, behinds to sit in the back. There are certain fixed costs that go along to operating a yellow cab. Insurance is what the driver pays. 
workers' compensation is what the driver pays, the owner of the cab pays, maintenance on the vehicle, inspections, taxes. You know, these are all expenses that the Uber and Lyft companies of the world don't have to pay. I assume you guys are in a better situation than some people that may have bought medallions, uh, you know, over the last probably, you know, 10 years. But many of those people that bought them really before the crash or while the crash was happening have found themselves in untenable debt and they owe more money than their medallions basically are worth, which seems to be similar you know, to, to correspond it to the way homeowners probably were impacted by the mortgage crisis of 2008. Their homes simply were not worth what they paid for them. Um, and I know very recently in, in May, uh, City Council Member Torres introduced a plan that called for the Council to enact legislation to force private lenders to revalue every taxi medallion at 250000 And in turn, the city would act as a guarantor on all outstanding loans absorbing only the cost of drivers that default on their payments. So do you think this form of legislation has a chance of passing? And it can, can it be an answer to those medallion owners that are underwater? I mean, I think it's a really good start to a conversation. You know, it would be great, you know, if something like that came about. But again, the city currently is in such poor financial shape itself. I don't know if they'd be in a position to be able, I would like them to be able to do something like that. And I don't know how we can get private institutions to go along with something like that. That would be a great start. No, you make a good money. I mean, the city has to have the money to be able to do it. Right. And it, you know, and you have to understand the last few years on the yellow taxi cab meter, there was $3 and 30 cents worth of surcharges that the passenger would pay to the driver and the driver would pass along to either us or to the city. They weren't getting that and that was on the meter and oftentimes passengers certainly thought it would go to the driver. Those would just pass along surcharges. Mm -hmm. You know, $2.50 worth of uh, congestion would go to the MTA for every ride. So in essence, the cab industry was subsidizing our own competition, which was the MTA. The rub on it was that much of the congestion was being caused by our competitors, Uber and Lyft. You know, going back to what you said about your grandfather and your, and your father, for that matter, I mean, driving a cab and aspiring to own a medallion was always seen as a great path for many, including immigrants, maybe largely immigrants, to achieve the American dream. Always been an immigrant industry. And whatever wave of, you know, whatever the next wave was, they would come and, you know, it was a hard, you'd have to work hard. But at the end of the day, you'd come home with something and, you know, you could build upon that. So putting aside COVID, let's say we get past COVID, is it still going to be possible to make, make a living as a taxi driver, let alone a medallion owner? If the city gets back to pre-COVID uh, numbers in terms of people and this, you know, walking around and, you know, obviously theater and museums and, you know, cultural, cu cultural events uh, start back up. Yes. And serious innovation with regards to our own apps. I think there is a future. It wasn't easy before COVID, you know, each, each passing year from 2014 or 15 on got much more difficult for the yellow cab industry as as the uh, app-based companies made their presence further felt. Well, Richard, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And, and you know, it's um, great to hear your story and how your family built the business from scratch. And, you know, yellow cabs are a cultural fabric of New York City. So thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Josh. I really appreciate it. 
Okay. This is the Schneps Connects podcast. To listen to our podcast, visit podcast.schnepsmedia.com or stream them on all major podcast networks. <laughs>